podcast is edited and partly recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Everyone, welcome to Books Without Borders, the podcast where two people in different hemispheres come together to talk about our favourite things, books. I'm Emma. And I'm Nina. Nina's here with her sexy cold voice today. <laughs> managed to catch my cold via the magic of the internet? I think that's exactly what happened because this hit me out of hmm. nowhere. Absolutely, I don't know where. I was very confused because one day I woke up and I had no voice. And I'm not talking like this. I'm talking like if I try to speak in like a high pitch. Like I was trying to call my cat the other day and I was like, Yay! <laughs> can't do it. It's not there. Yeah. It's just not there. So uh, it's a lot better now. Thankfully, I feel pretty much fine. Like physically, no problems. I'm a little bit tired, but barely. It's nothing like an actual cold that like knocks you out. It was just my voice disappeared. Well, I have actually discovered it is technically strep C, like type C strep. Oh, which is... definitely didn't catch that from me. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's a niche kind of strep because it's not <laughs> like the general type A that everyone gets. You know, I had to get oh. the fancy type of strep, so other girls exactly exactly we were trying to play music and i like can't sing along to any songs because not only can i never sing (laughs) i also can't sing to any like female vocals because they're just too high Mm. for my voice right now i was like we gotta put on some country music and then i can start like you know talking about trucks (laughs) i got i got that vocal (laughs) range right now (laughs) nice nice love it so how have you been like actually feeling like have, have you been apart from the voice disappearing have you been have you been feeling okay yeah actually i have had an up and down week but it ended on a high because i have now moved into my new apartment and it is so nice like awesome. i had a really rough time with my last apartment it was not good yeah and it was super uncomfortable for a lot of reasons and i had to like break my lease unexpectedly and stuff and i found this place like very last minute and i've moved in and it is just paradise in comparison oh, so good. it's been really healing yeah to have that space so overall worth it even though it was difficult to move twice in the last week yeah yeah Oh, well, I'm really pleased that the new place is everything that you were expecting. That's that's fantastic. I'm really glad to hear it. Thank you. How's your week been? Yeah, okay. Not Yeah, not bad. I went to a lovely family friend's dinner party the other night, which was really nice. So yeah, that was an event. I had an event, wow. which is unusual. So that was very pleasant and went well. Our, I apologize, listeners, if you can hear... A grinding noise in the background. There was absolute silence <coughs> before we started recording, and of course, the second that we started, my neighbor decided it was time to break out the power tools. So, apologies if that happens intermittently during this recording. Anyway, <laughs> how has your week in books been? You know, I really noticed a decline in my reading, not only just based on like how little I report, but recently I saw my stats on Storygraph and the chart for like reading quantity just like plummeted in the mm. last couple of months. But honestly, in your I think... defense, I feel like Shatter Me probably just like destroyed your motivation to read potentially. I feel like you you kind of burned yourself out a little. Well, you know, I don't know if it was that just because it almost like motivated me to want more books. Oh, okay. Like better I'll take books. It back. <laughs> well, the thing is, I think 
When most people have their different reading cycles, they tend to have more reading on their vacation time or in their downtime. Mm. But for me, it's kind of the opposite. I read the most when I'm at work because I commute, which is like my mm. reading time, mm-hmm. or I listen to audiobooks while I work. And I've been just traveling a lot in the last couple right, months. Right. And I only started work like two weeks ago. So it's almost funny to see my chart and how much it has gone down. But I expect that to be going up hopefully soon, though no pressure on myself. Mm-hmm. As this is officially, it is July 2nd, which means it's officially halfway through the year. Just out of curiosity, how are you doing on your reading goal? Like what percent are you? Oh, that's a good question. Let me have a look. I know that I'm definitely more than halfway through, which honestly is making me a little nervous about the length of my scarf. But, you know, it's going to be a long one and I'm okay with it. I've made peace with it. I have read 61%. I have read 44 books of my 72 book goal. I am ahead by eight books. Oh, wow. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm pretty much at a similar point. I'm ahead by 10 books, so I'm not too worried about the downturn in my reading. You were, like, reading at an insane speed in January. Like, it was bonkers. It was ridiculous. I don't know what motivated me, but I think I read, like, 15 books that month or something crazy. Yeah. So you're at what percentage in books read? So I'm at 66%. I've read 43 books out of Mm -hmm. my 65-book goal. Nice. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. Not too worried. In terms of other goals that I'm keeping an eye on, my audio versus print is a little heavy on the audio at the moment, 58%. And I have noticed that since I've started focusing on the print, that's another contributor to my reading going down because it takes me longer to finish, obviously. Mm. But also I think it's harder to carve that time out. And so it's really helped me notice that I want to make more time for readings. I just like that time where I can like unplug from my phone or from the rest of society and just like dive Mm. into a book and connect with the physical object. So this feels like a call to not just pick up the pace with reading, even though I'm ahead in my goal, more just to set more time aside for that because I think I just haven't been prioritizing it very much and mm. I want to prioritize it because it's something I really enjoy. So why wouldn't I? You know, mm. I'm prioritizing things I don't enjoy as much. That's silly. Yeah, totally. I understand that. I found myself caught in the phone game web again recently. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, this is fine when I'm listening to an audiobook, but like, I'm trying to read an ebook right now. What am I doing? <laughs> I just checked my own stats on the format section just for interest well since you mentioned it and it's actually not as audio heavy as I was expecting Mm. I've got 48% audio 30% print and 23% digital which is much more print than I expected actually so yeah that was a surprise wow yeah that's very similar to Mm. mine I guess I've been making more of an effort this year to read books I already own and also to make more use of the library in person. Mm-hmm. So how has your week been in reading? Pretty good. I finished two books. How about you? Same. I also finished two books. Okay, fantastic. And I just finished the last one earlier today, so I have not picked another one up. So I'll only be reporting on two books this week. Okay, cool. I've got two finished and one currently read, so maybe I'll go first. Currently read, you know what I mean? Currently reading. (laughs) The first one I will report on is I finished This Green and Pleasant Land, which I reported on a bit last week. I was halfway through by Oyesha Malik. I continued to very thoroughly enjoy this book. I gave it five stars. 
Interestingly, I've been looking at the chat around it in the Discord for the Gumption Club, and it's not as universally beloved as I was expecting. I think the light-hearted writing style has been very hit or miss with people. I personally absolutely love it. I think that the kind of blunt and sarcastic tone of a lot of the characters really appeals to the way I like to read characters. It's one of those books where you're presented with a lot of different perspectives, but it's done all in third person. So it's hard to separate for some people, which I hadn't actually picked up on until other people in the book club started doing this, it's hard to pick up on what is the author's point of view and what is the character's point of view. Personally, I read everything as this is the character's point of view. And I would agree that that's the correct way, personally. Well, thanks. But like, that's not how some other people were seeing it. There were some like occasional comments that came, that were like fatphobic, for example, coming from a few of the characters. And I saw those as all coming from those characters. But because they came up multiple times from a few different characters, some people started to wonder, like, is this how the author feels? Whereas my view on that was, and maybe this is because it's less of a major trigger for me, although it is a bit of a trigger for me, so I don't know. But for me, it came across as this is genuinely how a lot of society views women. Yeah. And so, like, this this is the author representing the views of these characters. So, like, throughout the entire book, all of the characters are presented as complex. There's no, like, black and white good and bad characters in this book, and that's one of the things I absolutely adore about it. Even though it's light-hearted, and the writing is really light, and it's quite funny at times, every single character has a lot of nuance, and you get a lot of different perspectives. One of, the, like, the woman who's basically leading the charge against the building of a mosque in this village is not fully, fully anti-Islam and, and whatever. Like, she's she's kind of in the middle somewhere. Like, she's uncomfortable with a lot of things, and she's certainly not someone who would be seen as, like, a friend to the people of, <laughs> the, people of the Islamic community, for sure. Mm. But, like... She's a very complex character and you certainly don't full-blown hate her. Whereas there are other characters in the book who you're like, this person needs to be thoroughly educated. Like this, the woman who's actually leading the charge is actually, there are multiple moments where the internal dialogue you see from her proves that she actually has enough education and knowledge around certain things that she's not fully ignorant, she's just uncomfortable with change. It's that level, you know? Right, right. Which is, I'm not saying that's good. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a good reason. But, you know, there's a spectrum of that versus the guy who is basically saying, go back where you came from, you know? There is a spectrum there. And that's that's a huge, huge part. It is the, basically the premise of this book. Is, and are these all adult characters? Yes, yes, all adults. Mm. So all of this is showing the spectrum of what it looks like to have all these different levels of bigotry and what that can look like and how it all results in the same thing. And I think that's done so cleverly is that it all results mm -hmm. in the same thing. It all results in hate. So it's right. all bad, but it also allows for the complexity of human emotion. And it's done so 
well. And even within the, you know, quote unquote good side, there's complexity there as well. So there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of discussion around it and all the characters are so complex. And yet the book is really light. It's a really easy read. It's so like, it's a super, super easy read. It's very digestible. And I think potentially that disconnect between the subject matter and the way it was written was a problem for some people in the book club, which mm. I do understand. I can, un I can understand that that can be a problem for some people. Personally, I love that. I absolutely love a book that approaches nuanced topics in a way that is accessible to a wide audience, if it's done well, obviously. Like, there's ways that it can be done very poorly, right. but... In my opinion, this is done extremely well. And most importantly, it's done by a woman who's actually from a British Muslim background. So the own voice narrative allows for the additional nuance that potentially... I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of arguments about this online. Can people write stories that aren't, you know, there to portray? But I think in this case, it really adds to the whole thing. And I think it actually mentioned in the author's note that she went out of her way to spend a lot of time in similar like small villages in England so that you know to show that she could get a feel of the environment around there and and what the the people in these little villages are like because it is so different from the larger cities in England where it's you know that there's much more multicultural and all that kind of stuff so yeah I can highly highly recommend this book I really didn't expect it to be as controversial a pick as it ended up being to be honest a few people have dnf'd it but personally i think it's really worth sticking out i think it's a fantastic read and i highly recommend it that's very interesting yeah i didn't expect it to take that turn either mm. i mean from my personal perspective i have a really complicated relationship with the own voices label mostly just because i think especially my my opinions become even more nuanced after reading yellow face but i can imagine um <laughs> <laughs> um, but generally, I think you can really tell when an author has done the work, when they've done the research and that research shows. Mm -hmm. And I don't think their personal experience and background are necessarily always a ticket to writing a good story about that kind of topic, you know? Mm. So I think there are people who write stories about experiences they don't have and don't do the research and it's obvious. And mm. I think there are people who write stories about experiences they don't have and do the research and it's obvious. I think there's also people who have experiences and rely too heavily on their own perspective, you know, mm. and maybe don't really explore the diversity of perspectives and experiences that fall into the scenario that they're trying to portray. Yeah. So I think it's a really subjective thing that there can't be a hard and fast rule on. Again, this is my personal opinion, but... I think based on what you're telling me about like how you can really feel the level of like research and intention that went into this story, mm. I, I think it has value based on that. And what yeah. you're saying about like the fat phobia, this sort of goes into the same sort of conversation where like I don't think there's any real fair way to evaluate if an author is using their personal opinions or portraying the characters as having certain opinions or maybe portraying the world as they experienced it, mm -hmm. right? So maybe the, the intensity of fat phobia present isn't accurate to reality or maybe it's too common in the book to be coincidental. However, it could well, very well be Well, the thing is, I do also want to say it's not that common. It's oh, like okay. a few comments sprinkled here and there, which 
I think is pretty representative of society. Tough personally. crowd. <laughs> Tough crowd. I like after reading all those Lauren Oliver books where almost all of them contain one or multiple characters with pretty intense fat phobia. It did raise this question that like, is that a necessary choice? Is that her internal fat phobia coming through? Or is that her experience with the fat phobia that she's portraying? Because she talks a lot about, you know, teenagers. And I imagine that's drawn from her experience. Mm -hmm. But there's the word imagination. Like I can't imagine what her intention really is behind it because I'll never know you know even if you ask her directly like she can be honest or she cannot be honest and again like going back to like yellow face and how the internet we're not gonna have solid proof on this and so I think it's fair to say that authors are allowed to create worlds in which they're is more or less discrimination of any kind. And readers are entitled to say, this makes me uncomfortable and I don't want to read it. I don't think the author's at fault for imagining that world, you know? Yep, absolutely. I agree. And like you said, readers are perfectly entitled to, if that's a particularly strong trigger for them, and it comes up too often in the early chapters, if they go, you know what, I don't think this is for me, that's completely fine. Obviously, I completely agree. Unless, of course, they do a J.K. Rowling and just go, yes, I am blank phobic. Right, right. That's a completely different scenario. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Obviously. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. What's your first read book of the week? So not long after we podcasted last week, I finished up the last hour of Page Boy. Mm. And I can now give you my full review, which tragically, for the first time in a while, I wrote out on Storygraph and then clicked another page and disappeared because Storygraph doesn't save drafts, unfortunately. Um. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't automatically save. It does if you choose to save. Regardless, I'll get into it. So Page Boy is a memoir written by Elliot Page, who is one of the most visible trans men in Hollywood that I can think of. And Mm. I was really intrigued to see that he had written a memoir because I want to hear more voices like that. And I heard a bit of a comparison to I'm Glad My Mom Died, which was a book that we both loved. So I think this book did some things really good and some things kind of middling Mm -hmm. but overall I enjoyed it and I'm glad I read it. I've seen a lot of Elliot Page's like media that he's been in but of his work I'm mostly a fan of The Umbrella Academy which is a recent series that he's been in Mm -hmm. and this was a series that is ongoing while he transitioned so for two seasons of the show he portrayed a woman and then recently in the third season he very subtly sort of came out. He just like in the show cut his hair and was like oh by the way guys I want to use he him pronouns and everyone's like okay cool (laughs) it's just not really discussed which I thought was really cool and I will say even though I'm not going to dock points for this I will say I was a little disappointed that you didn't hear more about that particular experience in the book because that was Mm. kind of the part I was I was curious about maybe because of my particular interest in the show but just like well you'd think that there would be more discussion about that because like that's the show that was like currently ongoing when right maybe it was just such a smooth process there wasn't much story to tell well maybe that or maybe there's an nda or something i have no idea Uh, maybe maybe, Um, just because it's ongoing i'm not sure the book sort of mentions it and how like easy and Mm. smooth that transition was but he doesn't really go into detail about that particular storyline, which I wanted to hear more of, but that's all right. That's all right. Because it is a pretty recent experience of his, and this was mostly focusing on his past. Right. So I think this story has a sort of inherent value as the perspective of someone in the Hollywood industry, in the film industry, as a trans man coming out in this really 
interesting time, right? Like he's 34, I believe, or maybe 36. He's in his 30s. And he started acting when he was young, like maybe 11 or 12. And he experienced a lot of that sort of pre-queer visibility of like the 90s and the aughts and then Mm. continued to experience that discrimination into this queer visibility movement of the 2010s and 2020s, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's a really interesting perspective to read from. And if you have a particular interest in him as an actor or the works that he's been in, because he goes a lot into each of the films he's been in or in like queer identity and queer I guess history sort of as well as like Hollywood tell-alls I would definitely say this is a book for you Mm -hmm. however maybe my critique for it is that it is extremely personal and almost felt like something I wasn't meant to read Mm. because it goes through all of his relationships and it kind of has that funny Hollywood tell-all sort of vibe because he goes through the details of each relationship and how they sort of shaped him as a person and helped him recognize his queer identity and stuff but it kind of like goes down a list. It kind of feels mm. a little bit like a like a listicle of Elliot Page's relationship history that you could read on like a like a tabloid kind of article. Right. It had a yeah. slight bit of that vibe. And mm. there were times where I was like, is this too intimate for me to know about someone mm. that he had a relationship with? And so I mean, I don't think so. I'm sure he got approval from all of the people he spoke about that he could, you know, tell those stories. But it also felt like maybe like a diary that I didn't necessarily have strong interest in. I think the parts that I found the most interesting about this book were more of his experiences in the industry and his experiences with discrimination and growing up being someone who has to act a role in his working life, but also in his personal life and trying Mm. to conflate those two things. Because a lot of people, when they saw that he had a dysphoria to a degree whether for a long time people just thought he was a gay woman and were frustrated with him for not being able to sort of assume a feminine role because he's an actor so shouldn't he be able to just act and pretend and Mm. while he had the you know ability to as a talented actor it was difficult for him to sort of merge those two forms of acting in his mind Mm. and I enjoyed hearing him tell the story of like how he found the ability to stand up for himself and to claim his identity and overcome a lot of mental struggles. So like I said, there were parts of it that I really appreciated as almost like a, like a record, you know, of queer experience. Though unlike I'm Glad My Mom Died, I don't think Elliot is particularly trying to build a career in writing. It almost did feel a little bit diary-ish, like not informal, but didn't come from the voice of someone who has a passion for writing. I mean, okay, I don't want to sound mean. It wasn't like a badly written book. It was just like a little bit on the nose or it didn't have like the tact that I would associate with like a high quality book or high quality writing style. And so for that, I docked it a little bit in terms of my rating, just because I think if he had a stronger sense of writing, he might have been able to weave the stories of his relationships into the stories of his working life and make it feel a little bit less like a list that he's going down, right? So I gave this a 3.75 because I still think it's a great book. I just... Also, don't know if it's one that I would generally recommend to everyone. Like, 
you have to read this mm-hmm. type of thing. But I think if you are interested in that niche, definitely go for it. Okay. If you're interested, honestly, in any of his movies, Juno mm-hmm. or Whiplash. It's just not Nina, of course, means the 2009 movie Whippet starring Elliot Page and Drew Barrymore. Not the 2014 movie Whiplash starring Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons. He tells really great stories about being on those sets Mm. and his experience with the actors. And I definitely think it would be interesting if you're a particular fan of him. Mm. But also, I think there are a lot of things that he described in his experience that fall into, I don't want to say stereotypes, but common commentary that I've heard from trans people talking about their experience. Mm. And it didn't necessarily feel like so much of it was bringing something new to the table in his experience experience of transness and something that kind of stood out to me and I want to like maybe disclose I'm not trans and so I obviously cannot like make commentary on how to describe the trans experience but I will say that something that sort of stuck out to me this time hearing someone's trans experience that maybe reflected a lot of other trans experiences I've heard before is how he talked about not fitting into his assigned gender from a very young age and how he always wanted to wear boys clothes and how he struggled when he went through puberty and stuff to adjust to his body that didn't match his identity. It was a little bit interesting to think about how now there's such a movement of trans people arguing that you shouldn't have to conform to a certain gender aesthetic, let's say, like certain Mm. look of gender, right? Like what cis culture says a man should look like in order Mm. to claim trans identity. You know, like you can know you're a man and not necessarily always pick the boys toy at mcdonald's you know what i mean yeah so i think to a certain degree it felt like there's a little bit of an aged quality even though it's super recent and i guess this whole discourse like ages very quickly because things have been changing so quickly Mm. in the last 10 20 years but i thought it was very interesting how much he focused and emphasized that he always wanted to wear shorts instead of skirts when he was a kid Mm. you know what i mean this very common trans narrative and I am interested and curious about future trans memoirs sort of breaking Mm. away from this mold and expressing how the realization of transness doesn't always have to correspond to the desire to fit into cis stereotypes of what Mm. men and women should look like so that was interesting and like I said if that was his experience I obviously have no critique for that because Mm. that's his experience but it just brought up an interesting question in my mind about like the future of what we understand as a trans experience what it looks like and what stories about it look like and I think this book did kind of feel like a story I've heard before to a degree because of those sort of anecdotes that I think I've heard a lot growing up, like the boy's toy and the happy meal and the mm. the wanting certain clothes and wanting to be confused for a boy. I mean, obviously these things make sense as a trans experience, but do you do you understand what I'm trying to say? I don't know if I'm saying do, this yeah. exactly right. Have you ever watched ContraPoints on YouTube? No, I haven't. I would highly recommend checking her out. She's a popular trans content creator and she delves into this particular topic in quite a nuanced way. She has a whole commentary on this. Basically, she 
she quite often gets criticized by other trans people for wanting to look so feminine Mm -hmm. and wanting to make herself look so feminine because it's like you don't have to keep trying so hard to pass you know right that's not how trans has to look anymore these days you know and she's like yeah but it can you know basically no yeah exactly it's all about personal choice so if that's how trans feels to to her and to Elliot Page is like that extreme of wanting to do that then that's fine if it's something more in between that's also fine I think what maybe it's important to remember is that this isn't a book about a trans experience it's Elliot Page's memoir right like this this isn't like one of the books that's that's called like you know trans whatever it's it's called Page Boy although actually I would disagree just because this book is completely about his experience as it relates to his transness and like how he discovered it from childhood. Yes, but to as as it relates to his transness is what I'm saying. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but I think it's important to, as you said, like remember that it's one person's experience. Right. So I don't know if it's necessarily like a generational. Th- I mean, I see what you're saying in terms of potentially it's going to be a generational thing, but I do also think that there's still going to be people in the younger generations who feel strongly about wanting to conform more strongly to the stricter binary and then there's going to be people who are more in the middle like it's just like there's people who do identify with what they're assigned at birth who uh you know some people are tomboys and then (laughs) to use that incredibly antiquated (laughs) term but you know some 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 girls feel it's really important to them to every single day wear a lot of makeup and wear dresses and stuff like that and then for other girls it's not important at all like I think what people are saying in the trans community right now is that in order to be a trans woman you don't have to be uber feminine right and in order to be a trans man you don't have to be uber masculine you can have the same choice that cis men and women do right right to be anywhere on that spectrum i think is what they're trying to say does that make sense yeah you know I think what it is that maybe stuck out to me that I'm having a hard time articulating is that maybe the book seemed to reveal Elliot's experience with that really complicated relationship between owning the spectrum of transness and conforming to the cis idea of transness and how it really showed almost a need to prove to people that right, gotcha. he's trans yep, yep, yep. by saying mm-hmm. look I wanted the boys toy look I wanted shorts look I wanted this and that and I hated okay, when this happened yeah. and I liked it when oh, it I totally, happened. I totally see what you mean now yeah yeah, yeah I think mm. I think that's what stuck out to me and not to say there's anything wrong with that experience at all because that's so mm. valid especially in the time yeah. period like i actually didn't realize elliot was as old as he is i thought he was in his 20s but he's he's in his mid-30s and so yeah no you know he was acting in the 90s and yeah he, he really went through a specific period of trans liberation in history and so it was really interesting to see his experience and also how maybe his ideas and how they're like shining through the text reflects that age Mm. a little bit more i absolutely do not want to feed into any discourse that creates this experience for trans people where they get hate from transphobia to not be their no of course course. gender at at no point did it sound like you were doing that i i I guess what i'm saying i don't want to like (laughs) no 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 at no point did it sound like you were doing that at all if if anything it sounded like you were trying to open things up more i I guess i I was i was also allowing for people who do feel that they 
want to be on that more extreme end of the spectrum. So no, yeah. no, totally. And I, yeah, yeah. I can completely understand that because regardless of how you want to express yourself, there's also the desire to be perceived in a certain way. You yeah, know? absolutely. And yeah. In a, in a totally different way, I remember this is you know not a exactly translatable experience, but I remember having a relationship like a friendship relationship in high school with someone who was also queer, who was bi and is genderqueer. Mm. And something I remember from our relationship was a little bit of dissonance between us at certain points when they entered into a relationship with a cis man and then on wanted to go by she, her pronouns and sort of, in my opinion, erase what mm. she or I don't know what pronouns they are using right now, so I'm just going to go with they. So we're not still friends at this moment, but they had done all of this work to sort of change their pronouns and their perception in mm. our high school community and then got into this relationship with someone and wanted to suddenly be perceived as a woman. Mm-hmm. And I was frustrated for them because I felt that they were shutting themselves down for this person. And they made a point to me that has really stuck with me, actually, where they said, you know, yes, this is who I am, but sometimes I just want to be the girlfriend. I just want to be a normal girl yeah. in high school. And I have a boyfriend and I want him to feel normal. And while that shouldn't have to be what it is, like mm-hmm. it's a valid reality it's a valid experience and so that's really stuck with me as a thought that like you know it's a, you're allowed to tr- conform sometimes because yeah, it can feel good you don't yeah. have to be subversive constantly you know so it can be yeah. really tiring to be subversive uh, all the time yeah absolutely um i also have had in the past my own kind of explorations with gender and gender identity and I have identified with various different gender labels in the past because in the past I felt that that was something that I needed to kind of explain to myself why I had certain feelings. The short version is for people who know what these labels mean, it's just the easiest way to explain it. I'm gender flux between female and agender and there was a point in my life where it was pretty important to me that that be a label that I kind of was putting down on like survey forms and stuff. Mm -hmm. But after a certain point in time, I just started checking female on boxes because in a practical sense, I still use she, her pronouns. I don't change my name. Really the only person that my gender expression affects is me. It's not something that I really have ever told like a lot of people, not because I'm uncomfortable telling people, just because it doesn't come up right. until we have a discussion like this one. So right. I don't feel the pressure to get anyone else to know that I'm anything other than female. Right. So I can totally see your friend's perspective on that. Yeah, no, I, I, I can too. At the time, I think it was a little bit frustrating in the moment, just because I felt like I wanted them to have the experience they deserved and not be silenced, but it's also ultimately their journey and their experience to dictate. So of course I supported them ultimately in the decision they made. Okay, I just had to quickly move locations. So if there's a slight difference in sound, that is why, but we'll just continue from where we left off. Yes, (laughs) apologies. Nina is not in her usual location. Yes. As is often the case. At this point, I feel like my usual location is not being at my usual location. (laughs) 
accurate. Yes. So, page boy, any further comments? No, I think I said everything I uh, wanted to say. Cool. Like, uh, like I'll just reiterate that it was a three point seven five. Mm-hmm. I'm like sort of open to that, bumping up to a four as I ruminate on it. But I have now sat on it for about a week, and I feel pretty good about that scoring, mostly because it was an important story to hear about. I'm glad I read it, but I think from a purely like literary critique perspective Mm -hmm. it didn't necessarily feel like an impressive writing style but I think that sort of doesn't matter when it comes to a memoir because no one can tell your story but yourself and regardless of your writing quality can only be what it is if you write it so Mm -hmm. I don't know I'm a little bit flexible on that point but I think Mm -hmm. right now I'm at a 3.75 yep fair enough cool well I'll move on to my second finished read which was The Other Side of Beautiful by Kim Locke. This I was supposed to read for the June buzzwords. I started it on the last day of June, finished it on the 2nd of July, but I'ma count it. I'ma count that as done in June, whatever. Close enough. It was done before <laughs> we did the challenge wrap-up, so... Exactly. It's done. Yes. So this is a debut novel by an Australian author. This is essentially the story of a woman with very severe anxiety. She has not left her house in two years until it burns down and all of a sudden she is flung into the world and she in an act of a weird combination of fate and desperation decides to buy a beat up old camper van and drive it north (laughs) just (laughs) just just north and she ends up kind of accidentally joining a group of gray nomads and one particularly nice-looking Scottish man who happens to also be travelling. Where is it set? Australia. Oh, gotcha. A grey nomads a concept that's international? I think they are, right? Um, mm, no. Well, no? maybe. I'm just... I don't I think, know. Whatever. Oh, you know, no, they are, because Nomadland was an American movie, but... Oh, just, like, like people who live in vans, van life? Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay, I got that. I don't know if grey nomads are an international thing, but essentially grey nomads are older people who decide to wander around in vans using up their retirement money oh cool that's super cool yeah usually they'd like take trips around australia in their later years essentially that's why they're called the gray nomads because of the gray hair Mm -hmm. this was very pleasant and entertaining I gave it four stars. The portrayals of anxiety were very well done. I have a feeling that the author has experienced anxiety herself because very, very well described. (laughs) As a frequent anxiety experiencer myself, very, very well described. And as someone who briefly developed a level of agoraphobia during COVID, (laughs) I can can relate to some of the descriptions that were made. That part of it was all really well done. The main reason it was four stars rather than any higher was essentially because it relied quite a lot on convenience plot. Right. But it was an entertaining read. Not gonna lie, the audiobook reader reminded me a lot of the Australian Siri voice, so I can't say that I would recommend it. Oh no, that sounds bad. Honestly, that sounds like a negative experience. I got used to it pretty quickly, but I can't say I would actively recommend the audiobook. It's a good book. I can say that I enjoyed it, and therefore it got a four rather than anything in the meh range. Right, right. Basically. I can recommend the book for just a pleasant read. Actually, can I can I actively recommend this? Eh, there's a lot of other books you could read instead. That's what I would call a 3.75. Is what that sounds like to me. Well, to you it would be, yeah. Right. What's your 3.75 translation? 3.75 to me is getting into mad territory. Right. It's like that. It has is to... for me too. 
3.75 is starting to get unenjoyable, whereas this is still enjoyable. Right. right. Yeah. Well, okay, no, no. Actually, for me, 3.75 is not at all unenjoyable. It's just not actively recommendable. Oh, I see. Okay. I mean, I use the Corpile spreadsheet. Right. So that's where the four came from. Usually for the 0.25s, that's if I give it like a bonus right. or a negative for something. So the Corpile spat out a four. I gave it a four, basically. Right, right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. For example, The Hobbit, Corpile spat out 3.5, and then I gave it an extra 0.25 for Andy Serkis's <laughs> performance, for example. Right. So, yeah. I go by the Corpile rating to the 0.5, and then I plus or minus 0.25 if I feel like I want to. Fair. Fair. I was just curious. So, yeah. Corpile gave me a 4, so I gave it a 4. The writing was good. The characters were good. The atmosphere was good. It was mostly the logic that let it down. Right. Yeah. I hear you. So what's the other book you finished this week? So I went to the library one day after work and I decided to pick up the first volume of Attack on Titan, which oh. is a manga series. I know a lot of people are very familiar with the anime, but there's also a manga. And I don't know, I'm just not really like a TV or movie person. And I feel like, you know, I'm going to Japan in two months. I can't go to Japan without ever having read a manga or watched mm. an anime. I feel like I would just have such a culture deficit. Yeah. So I decided to like look up a list of like top 10 most popular manga series. And I know because this is popular anime and a popular manga, I thought it would be a good choice. So I picked it up and it pleasantly surprised me. Mm -hmm. It is a fast read because it's like mostly pictures. Like I've mm. seen mangas where it has a lot more writing and I've seen like graphic novels that have a lot more writing. This is pretty light on the writing and the illustration style is really cool, but not one that like I spent a lot of time on each page particularly because it's like an action story. So mm -hmm. you kind of want to speed through it to like see what happens. Right. Essentially, Attack on Titan tells a story of a sort of dystopian future world in which society is relegated to this small gated community. I mean, gated community in terms of like they have a big wall blocking the community because titans which are these like giant humanoid creatures sort of wreak havoc on the land and eat humans mm. whenever they come across them so the humans have sort of like barricaded themselves into their town and have to like train for the military to defend the town from attacks from the titans mm. which i guess makes me curious why it's not attack on humans because the humans are attacking titans attack on titan i thought going into this that it would have something to do with like a planet like titan is a moon i believe right or jupiter if i'm not wrong i think so editors note we were wrong it's one of the moons of saturn and i thought it was going to be one planet attacks another planet that happens to be called titan that's completely not the plot at all <laughs> <laughs> that was just my imagination it's actually about uh, this dystopian society and i'm enjoying it so far there's like a main cast of characters but i've been told and i don't think this is a spoiler because this is just a general thing about the show is that i've been told that people die a lot and mm. you can't get attached to anyone because they will die so <laughs> i'm trying to not like form too much of a relationship to these characters so that but has actually happened the so far breaking moment for yourself i mean yes no i definitely well the, the thing is it's also a short read so okay. there wasn't a lot of time to get attached to the characters yet really i mean there are two main characters a brother and a sister 
and I expect that they will be the focus of the series, although mm-hmm. I could be totally wrong on that. I don't know. I also thought this was about the planet Titan. Anyway, so I'm enjoying it so far. Like I said, the illustration style is cool. I definitely want to watch the show along with it and compare and contrast. I'm curious mm-hmm. if similar creators were involved in either of the projects and I'm excited to move on to volume two. It kind of felt like a pretty short snippet into the world, like a pretty quick introduction. Um, mm-hmm. I think the book is maybe two or 300 pages, but like I said, it went very quickly. So it didn't feel like I really got into the world yet. And there are, I think, like 20 something volumes of this manga. So mm-hmm. it almost felt like maybe I read the first chapter, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to continue with that one. I think I can put down at least one a week for the foreseeable future until I go to Japan. We'll see. So yeah, I definitely think I'm going to continue with the series and I'll keep you posted on that. Yeah, this is my first manga, so it's hard to really compare it to anything. And I think while I didn't form an emotional attachment to it, I gave it four stars because I think it has a lot of value as such a monumental piece of manga. Mm. And I could see where that acclaim comes from, even just Mm -hmm. from the short bit. So I'm excited to see how it evolves, and I'll have more for you later. Awesome. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I believe you have one more book for us this week that you're yes. currently reading? Yes. So I have joined the new read-along that Audrey's doing for this month. And really? It's, yes. It is Jane Eyre. Really? Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. I'm ready for the journey. Wow. Yeah. I'm only three chapters in and this is way more depressing than I had anticipated (laughs) yeah so I just to give you an idea I have absolutely no idea what this book was about going in like I have that's a good way to do it yeah I have I have somehow managed to avoid any synopsis of this story any adaptation any like no idea at all right Apart from the fact that for some reason people keep saying, if you like Pride and Prejudice, you should read Jane Eyre. Wrong. And from the first three chapters I've read already, I'm like, what? This is it has nothing, nothing like it. There's Completely no relationship, different. in my opinion. And apparently this must be a common thing people are hearing, that they're similar when they're clearly not, because half the commentary in the opening discussions is either people saying... I love this book, but I'm not a Pride and Prejudice fan, or I'm a Pride and Prejudice fan, but I'm not such a fan of this book, but I'll, I'll give it another try, you know? Yeah. The only thing it has in common is that it's in the same century. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, maybe that there's a romance, but yeah. I, the romances don't even really resemble each other at all. So anyway. Yeah. So I'm very confused as to how people have done that. I'm convinced no one has read this book. I'm convinced that literally all the people talking about it haven't read it because yeah. I'm so confused. Did someone we'll did someone make a very optimistically toned adaptation of Jane Eyre that that was similar enough to Pride and Prejudice, and then people were like, "Oh, these movies, are... <laughs> who knows?" I mean, not particularly. Like, mm. I watched one adaptation with it. I can't remember what the main actress's name is. She's the, the girl who plays Alice in Wonderland, but. I believe she's Australian, if I'm not wrong. Anyway, and the, it the one with the Polish, the the one with the Polish last name who has come up on yep, this podcast that's, before. That's exactly the, the one, one that you thought would make a really good Jane. Yep. Yes. Yes, that one. Precisely. How did my brain... My brain... Oh God. See, this is the thing. I keep saying I have a bad memory 
because I swear to God I do for like the things I need to remember, the important things. And yet when it comes to things that we've talked about in this podcast, because I am here for the original discussion and I do an edit and I do a listen through, I get the information three times and so I remember everything. (laughs) Okay, I've got the name for you. Mia Wasikowska. That's it. Anyway, I am very curious to hear more of your thoughts on these beginning chapters. Yeah, so look, I'm enjoying it so far. It's just like not even remotely like I just am stunned by the fact that people keep comparing this book to Pride and Prejudice. I'm like, right, what is happening anyway? But I am enjoying it so far. I mean, it's early, very early days. It's only been three chapters. Can you give a non-spoilery sort of hint as to where you are currently? Um, still very much in childhood depressingness. Gotcha. Yeah. How's Helen doing? Who? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Never mind. Cool. Um, <laughs> No, she's still, like, very much just got out of the red room. Oh, yeah. You know, shockingly, this is probably, like, a total controversial opinion, which I think all of my Jane Eyre opinions are controversial, but I like her childhood years probably the best in the book. Those are the ones I wanted to last longer. I'm, I was about to say, like, I'm in, like, this is a really weird thing to say, but I am into, like, trauma stories generally, so, morbid Victorian children. Yeah, mor- well, I like, mor- that too. like morbid, morbid like stories in general. I can really get into if they're written well. So I'm enjoying it so far. But right. your reaction to it as a Pride and Prejudice fan is making me a little hesitant going in. That being said, my mum, who is also a Pride and Prejudice fan, doesn't have any strong feelings about Jane Eyre. So see, I don't want to skew your opinion. But I also want someone to validate mine. <laughs> Fair enough. You're gonna, but you're the gonna other have thing to, like, is navigate that yourself. But the other thing is, I'm reading it with like the Audrey guide, which I feel like is going to automatically make my reading experience better than whatever you had. So, right. <laughs> because that's the whole purpose of the guide is to improve your reading experience of these books. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Each we'll week, see. you will get a further update on that journey. I will say that I went into it with a very academic lens because I was mm. reading it for a trip, like a group, like a reading group trip right. that I was supposed to go on, but then COVID interrupted. I don't know if I told you about this story, no. but we'll get to it later. That's a whole saga. But I was reading it very, very closely, underlining, expecting to have to discuss each chapter in depth. So uh-huh. I did have a very academic, and I followed along with a guide. It wasn't the Audrey guide, obviously, but... Right, okay, so it actually might be a similar experience, so I take it back. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. I'm curious. I'm leaving the door open. But all right, all right, we'll I, see. I enjoyed the, the early years in her life, so... We'll see. So that's what I'm currently reading, and as a sneak peek, literally just this morning, I got a notification from my library saying that my reserve of the ebook of The Shadow Cabinet, which is book number two in the Her Majesty's Royal Coven series, has come in. Oh, so cool. That will probably be coming up soon as well. Very exciting. Okay, good to know. Now, you're on a bit of a time squeeze, so maybe we skip the TBR section this week? Sure. Sounds cool. good. All right, so I'm going to jump straight into the challenge update, all in my lonesome. Penny's making noises at the birds. Sorry if you hear any of those, but also not sorry because she's adorable. (laughs) So, buzzwords. For June, read The Other Side of Beautiful, which I just reported on. 
that was for the word other. For July, the target is to read weather-related words, so storm, sky, clouds, wind, whatever. I have gone a little more literal than that and gone with a book that actually has the word weather in the name because I have a book that I've owned for so long in my shelves and I need to just kind of read it and be done with it, which is one of the reasons I do these challenges is to just rediscover old books that I forgot existed. So I'm going to be reading We Are the Weathermakers by Tim Flannery, which is a book about climate change from 2006. So definitely won't be up to date. I don't know how much of it will actually be useful, but it's, you know, it, it provides a history of climate change to some extent, and I think it's aimed at slightly younger readers <laughs> as well. So don't know how much I'll actually get out of this book or whether I'll just decide to DNF it halfway through or what, but we'll see what happens. Either way, it will be removed from my TBR, which is one of the things I aim to get out of these challenges. <laughs> so That's so funny because the book I had on my list for this one is called We Are the Weather. By mm. Jonathan Safran Four. Yes, yep, I'm, I'm familiar with that very one. Very close in title. I am familiar with that one. <laughs> yeah. Much more up to date, that one. For The Gumption Club, June's book was This Green and Pleasant Land, which I've also just reported on. July, we will be. So, a lot of us have not actually as a book club book, but a lot of us happen to have read and loved Our Wives Under the Sea by Julia Armfield. So, we decided that this month's Gumption Club book would be Julia Armfield's only other published work thus far, which is a collection of short stories called Salt Slow, which from the sounds of it is going to be a collection of like mildly disturbing <laughs> stories, which I am. Fully here for. Reading Around the World's book club is still on hiatus at the moment. The Moonies book club. June we read The Adventures of Amina al-Sirafi, which I reported on last week. It was a surprise success, 4.5 stars. July we will be reading a book that, not gonna lie, I've read the blurb for it multiple times and I didn't take it in any of the times, so I'm gonna have to read it out loud again. It's called One Dark Window by Rachel Gillig. Have you heard of this one? No, I haven't heard of this one. I'm curious if the amount of fantasy you're reading will change either your annual or all-time stats. Oh, it, ha it, has it has already. It has. It, it oh, definitely wow. has. Like, fantasy is already quite high on my yearly top genres for this year. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so One Dark Window by Rachel Gillig. This is apparently book number one in The Shepherd King. I don't know if it's going to be a series or a trilogy or what. Maybe there's just two of them. It looks like there's just two so far. The second one's called Two Twisted Crowns. It was published this year. One Dark Window was published in 2022. It's a fiction fantasy horror. Mm -hmm. I've not read a fantasy horror before, so this is new. It's a dark, lushly gothic fantasy about a maiden who must unleash the monster within to save her kingdom. Elspeth Spindle needs more than luck to stay safe in the eerie, mist-locked kingdom of Blunder. She needs a monster. She calls him the Nightmare, an ancient mercurial spirit trapped in her head. He protects her. He keeps her secrets. But nothing comes for free, especially magic. When Elspeth meets a mysterious highwayman on the forest road, her life takes a drastic turn. Thrust into a world of shadow and deception, she joins a dangerous quest to cure Blunder from the dark magic infecting it. Except the highwayman just so happens to be the king's own nephew, captain of the most dangerous men in Blunder, 
and guilty of high treason. He and Elspeth have until solstice to gather 12 Providence cards, the keys to the cure. But as the stakes heighten and their undeniable attraction intensifies, Elspeth is forced to face her darkest secret yet. The nightmare is slowly darkly taking over her mind, and she might not be able to stop him. Interesting. That's unique. I don't think I've read a horror fantasy before either, honestly. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of hard for fantasy to scare me because it's not real. I completely agree, and I'm so glad... (laughs) That you're in the same boat. I'm always going to be more scared by horror that is more realistic than this kind of stuff. But maybe, look, maybe it'll be written really well. I'm, tr- I'm going to try and keep my hopes up because the blurb is... Tell- I-, I tell you what, if I- the- neither the blurb nor the cover of this book are doing anything for me. But, you know, maybe the writing style will be fantastic and I'll be pleasantly surprised just like I was with The Adventures of Amina al-Sarafi. Okay, I hope that for you as well. Yeah. Fingers crossed. (laughs) And for Adventure in Eldia, in June I visited the Locked Library, which was reading a book I already owned. That was The Other Side of Beautiful, which again I just reported on. In July I will be brewing a potion of Sleepless Night, which means I need to read when it's... Which means I need to read when it's dark. I haven't actually set a specific book for this one. I have a feeling it'll probably be either I'll just like read a graphic novel quickly, like in one session during the nighttime at some point, or it'll be like We Are the Weather Makers, I'll make my like before bed read during the month, maybe. Honestly, I don't think that's a great bed read just because at least with like heavily research-based non-fictions, I find that those like make my brain, I guess it makes my brain work hard in a way that puts me to sleep, but also sometimes can keep me up because I'm like just trying to absorb the information rather than immerse myself in the imagination of the story. So I don't know. It's just my take. No, I, I personally, I, I um, very easily put to sleep by <laughs> reading. So I, I, a nonfiction book keeping me up has never happened in my life. Um, <laughs> a fiction book, yes. Nonfiction, never. <laughs> so, and I would be very surprised if this particular book would be the first one to do so. <laughs> so I don't know. I might do that. I might. Well, the other thing is I'm... This is actually a much easier prompt for me than for everyone in the Northern Hemisphere right now because it's getting dark real early at the <laughs> moment. So this will be a very, very easy one to tick off. I'm sure mm-hmm. this won't be a problem. There's a bird very close to the house right now. I can hear it. I'm sure you can. Cool. That's not going to move. Um, we've got a guest today. <laughs> Anyway, guests on the podcast. This is this episode is just a complete mess of background noises. I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> cool. Well, that's that's my challenge update. Scarf? Do you? I assume you don't have it with you. I don't have my scarf with me. Actually, that's a lie. I do, and I was working on it yesterday. Oh. So I'll be able to send you a picture of my updated work. I don't know if I've caught up to all of my books by now, but I might keep working on it until I send you that picture. Okay, cool. I caught up to my end of June. Hello. The other day, and um, I'm not gonna oh, unroll wow. it, but that's what it looks like rolled up at the moment. That is a thick scarf you got going on there. Yeah, thick completely rolling. unrolled it like just as a single strand. It's like a nice length. Oh, nice. Already, which actually bodes pretty well for the full length because I think once we get to the end of the year, it's gonna be more than enough to 
do like a double wrap around the neck. So it's going to be very, very toasty, which I'm excited about. So yeah, we'll, as usual, be putting the photos of our scarves in an Imja album. What is going to be changing, though, is Nina's removal of her challenge commitment gave me cause to think about my propensity to overcommit and made me really think about, am I actually enjoying every challenge I'm doing? And there was one that I realized was feeling like a chore, and that is the book covers. At first I was really enjoying them, but then I realized that the amount of time and effort that it takes to find all the right supplies for each... Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Penny, I know you can see birds, shush. I'm so sorry. All the time and effort that it takes to make those... I'm just going to have to talk through the noise. I'm so sorry. All the time and effort that it takes to make the book covers was kind of outweighing the enjoyment I got from it at a certain point, And it was starting to feel more like a chore. So I am not going to be doing those anymore. So sorry for those of you who have expressed, including yourself, Nina, um, who have expressed how much you enjoy those. But yeah, no, I just wasn't feeling worth it anymore. Maybe I'll return to them in the future, but... It got to the point where I found myself going, oh god, I really don't want to read as many books because I have to keep making these covers. And the second I had that thought, I went, whoa, hang on. (laughs) That's not the attitude I want to be having. Like, I'm always happy to crochet more and have a longer, and you know, having a longer scarf will just be funnier, if anything. But if I'm finding the thought of having to make more book covers so taxing that it makes me want to read less, that's a problem. So... Yeah, no, no more book covers from me. So the MJ album's just going to be scarf photos from, from now on. Totally fair. I totally encourage and accept your decision to quit this thing. Thank you. All right. Uh, you sound like your voice is like uh, right about to give out. So fortunately, this is <laughs> the end of the episode. <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening to this slightly unhinged episode of Books Without Borders. If you want to get in touch with us, we have an email address. It is bookswithoutborderspod at gmail.com. That's bookswithoutborderspod at gmail.com. That email address, along with every book we spoke about in this episode, is, as always, in our show notes, along with a list of other stuff we spoke about as well, and a link to that Imja album. And we will catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.